This is our Suburb Trends report for November 2020 and we'll be looking at where prices are moving across the country, either up or down, and why they're moving. In this episode, we're focusing on uni towns. Kent Lardner's been busy crunching the numbers, creating heat maps and other geeky things to help us build a picture of what the reduction of overseas student numbers is doing to the property market. Still building. You know, so you've got the oversupply issue, you've got obviously the unemployment issue, which would be you know, concentrated in the town. A lot of those uh, workers in the uh, hospitality industry are not there. A lot of the workers in the university are not there. So um, significant changes to those CBDs, the high-density locations. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. And I'm the data geek, Kent Lardner. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecast report, which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au. You'd have to be living under a rock to not know that there's been a huge reduction in overseas students living in Australia as a result of COVID. The 2020 academic year never really got off the ground and the knock-on effect was an immediate and marked increase in rental vacancy rates close to the larger universities. And we certainly saw it in Sydney with the CBD vacancy rate rising from a long-term average of around 3% to peak at almost 15% in May and today it's hovering around 12%. While international borders remain closed, how long this will last for is anyone's guess. But is Sydney representative of what's happening across the country? Kent, before we look at specific areas, can you explain how you've been looking at this data? Hello, Chris. Hello, Veronica. Yes, the um, the approach uh, started with a map. I, I was doing a, a map based on what we call a statistical area too, about two or three suburbs big. And I was doing this across the country and I found a couple of blips. And the blips, the, the darker patches were a couple of universities. And uh, that really led me to, to, to dig a bit deeper and find out that uh, there was, in fact, uh, much higher vacancy rates in and around the universities uh, across several states and across several cities. So uh, obviously um, there's been a lot of headlines supporting this, but it started with just coincidental finding a map with some, some dark patches on it in and around Newcastle and, and up in Armidale in northern New South Wales. It's the starting point. Well, that's quite interesting. I was going to sort of start off or kick off with Victoria, but so Newcastle and Armidale, what else, I mean, dig a bit further for us and help us, what sort of property, what sort of suburbs, what sort of vacancy rates are we talking, what's the impact? Yeah, so I, I think Armidale's a great um, uh, case study. So there's um, slightly higher uh, unit, a number of units um, uh, up in Armidale, slightly higher than your typical a comp- comparable town in northern New South Wales. So mm. now Armidale has about 40% rental tenure um, and its uh, unit inventory is not high, its housing inventory is not that high, so it's quite a good housing market, but the standout is vacancy rate. So it's up up around the 4% mark and uh, so obviously uh, that, was, uh, that just stood out because the surrounding regions 
are all extremely low infantry levels, so or sorry, very low vacancy rate levels. So um, all it all it took was you know a slight uptick in that vacancy rate for it to stand out comparative to the other towns and suburbs in and around Armidale. And that unit stock you're talking about is that specifically been built for student accommodation? I don't have that answer, but typically in most of these locations, you'll find, you know, units are you, you go to for a lot of these student accommodation. There's one call out too um, that I find when I analyze a lot of these, um, uh, in, uh, these vacancy rates for units is sometimes they advertise just the room and it's the room being advertised, not the entire property. So it appears when you count it, it appears and looks like a one bedroom unit, but it's not, it's just a room in a unit. Um, so we, we, we factor that in, but uh, comparative to the other areas, it's standing out. So, um, yes, yeah, certainly the, the rental tenure up there is a bit higher, obviously. Um, there's not an abundance of, of units or apartments, though, in Armidale. It's only about 6% of total housing inventory, so it's not that high. And uh, an interesting comparison, I, I, I found another area, another town that had a lot of similarities in terms of pricing and, and profile, and it was Grafton. And when you compare everything, it's almost the same in everything, except that the standout is obviously the uh, the vacancy rate. We had, uh, you know, three point seven seven up to four point two three percent vacancy rate um, in Armidale, whereas it's below one percent in Grafton. So it's a stark contrast. And you mentioned Newcastle as well, but apart and we'll, and obviously elaborate that in a minute. I know that's really close to your heart. Always, uh- <laughs> <laughs> it's compulsory. But, but, yeah, the Newcastle note, anyone listening, if you haven't listened to every single of our ST, some of Trends episodes, Newcastle features in there somewhere. <laughs> Why would that be, Kent? Uh, well, because I live here. <laughs> <laughs> um, with, with that, are there other regional towns that are university towns that you have, been, have really been standing out? Mm. Or is this more a capital city thing? Oh, look, it's predominantly a capital city thing. So if you go through the, the universities, uh, in and around the capital cities, they also have a, a very, very high uh, density. So there's a lot of units in and around them. So it's not a coincidence, but it's more stark to see it happening in Melbourne City. It's uh, certainly the case in uh, in and around the University of New South Wales in mm. Kensington there. So yep. uh, you, you do see it in each of the capital cities where there's a university, the vacancy rates are standout. They are very, very high. And we'll get to that in a minute, and particularly Victoria. Um, but quickly, Newcastle, where is it showing up there? Because, you know, Newcastle is a fairly big town. Big, big, it's a city, isn't it? Let's yeah. Get it's a city. City. If you look at uh, Lake Macquarie East was and has been standing out as the lowest vacancy rate across the country. So that was the, the, the catalyst for you know, drawing up these, these suburban SA2 maps. Uh, it's not that high, but typically the SA2 that contains the adjacent suburb of Jesmond stood out, yeah. and that's that's the suburb where all the students like to share uh, houses. Um, so it it's not over the top high, but it is a, it is a, a standout, and it was the catalyst for me diving in and and, and realizing that there's a correlation between um, uh, universities, specifically the universities that have a, a higher proportion of overseas students. Uh-huh. And a lot of people think that's just apartments, but, you know, our strategy and there's all these property strategies out there, whether it's positive cash flow or uh, buying sort of 
quantity over quality. There's lots of, um, you know, uh, granny flats. There's so many different property strategies, but one property strategy I've seen promoted out there is buying houses and then almost creating boarding houses out of them. Um, and renting out to <laughs> Yeah, basically to university students. And so mm. a lot of people would think that these vacancy rates are just units, but you know, I've seen clients in the past with, you know, investment properties in around, you know, Newcastle University, around Jesmond and, um, you know, renting room to room, which I think is a, a lot of uh, heart and uh, energy to sort of get that extra yield, which you have to pay tax on anyway. Just coincidentally, my first job was in Jesmond. Oh, uh, awesome. I had there, so <laughs> I was just throwing that in there. There you go. You have to. <laughs> you do. Well, did you? <laughs> okay, let's look at Victoria. We can anticipate that their rental vacancies have been the hardest hit purely because of their extended lockdown, but I also noted something interesting about their share of the overseas student market. And out of the top 20 unis for overseas student numbers, Melbourne-based unis made up the lion's share with seven out of those 20. And to put that in perspective, Sydney and Brisbane had only three each in the top 20 list. So have you seen this play out in the data, Kent? Absolutely. So obviously a few things compounding it. You, you had a lot of supply, a lot of oversupply of, of units um, uh, in and around uh, Melbourne. So you've got the su- supply issue, um, mm. but equally you've got the fact that somewhere like RMIT, now I think this data might be a couple of years old, but I'm sure it's still going to be very similar. Uh, RMIT uh, had overseas students up around that 46% mark. So that's pretty significant, followed by yeah. Monash at 34, just over 34%. So we, we're talking big numbers. Mm. Um, and, and overall, though, Sydney Morning Herald had a, an article a couple of weeks ago. It stated that New South Wales has overall lost 80,000 overseas students, followed by Victoria losing 67,000. But I think what you'll find in Victoria is that's um, very concentrated in and around the city. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it was quite... I read that article and I actually traced back to the um, the source of their data, which was actually recent uh, research done by Victoria Uni's Mitchell Institute, which shows that we're 210,000 students down on what was expected this year. Yes. And they're predicting that we'll be losing half our student numbers by mid-2021. And in the report, you know, because you're going to talk about a, a few suburbs, and one of the suburbs that you're, you've highlighted to talk about today is Clayton, um, they've highlighted in their report, they're saying that reduction in student numbers, uh, 4,020, uh, the vacancy rate a year ago, so it will September, this was dated September 2020, so September 2019, the vacancy rate in Clayton was 2% and the impact of those 4,000 odd students has resulted in a vacancy rate of 7.8% September this year. So, you know, it's, it's quite a significant change, obviously. I mean, and this is, I guess, the problem. And you, and, and you do hear a lot of people, it's like a lot of people come to me and say, oh, surely you could, should buy a, an apartment to rent in Ramwick. You know, it's close to a hospital and uni. And it's like, well, this is, this is where that, uh, the flaw in that logic comes out loud and clear, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's almost akin to the same as a, you know, a single industry town. Mm. Yeah, and we, I think we'll, we'll talk about Musselbrook a little bit later, but it's the same thing, you, you, an over-dependency on one industry. Yes, you might have demand, but, you know, you need supply to be limited. So you might have strong demand. There might be the, the work, <laughs> people working at the hospital and the uni, but if you're just going to keep on building apartments there, then, um, yeah, it doesn't matter if you've got strong demand, if you've just got increasing supply. So I think that's where that logic falls through. Case in point here, actually, because further in that report, 
um, it does highlight South Bank and Docklands. This is exactly uh, illustrates exactly what you're talking about there, Chris. Because of course um, they've you know had huge vacancy rates. So South Bank September 2020 vacancy rate 16.8 percent and Docklands 17.4 percent. Huge. However, mm. the student numbers are really small. Like in South Bank, they're only 1,500 that uh, has been reduced, the reduction number. And in Docklands, it's not even 1,000, it's 930 in reduction. So those smaller numbers of students have had a massive impact on the vacancy rate. Um, South Bank is like four times higher than it was a year earlier and uh, Docklands somewhat similar, sort of nearly actually it's more than five times higher in Docklands on the back of very small number of students. So it does show that that supply is the issue there. Yeah. And more supply coming in those areas, right? They're not, they're still building in Docklands. Still building. You know, so you've got the oversupply issue. You've got obviously the unemployment issue, which would be you know, concentrated in the town. A lot of those uh, workers in the uh, hospitality industry are not there. A lot of the workers in the university are mm. not there. So um, significant changes to those CBDs, the high density locations. Mm. The big worry here is that the vacancy rates of say 15, 20%, right? And so if you have to, if your tenant leaves right now and you've got an investment property in Docklands or South Bank, which hopefully you don't, but there's, you know, they're all owned by someone um, and your tenant leaves and you've got to re-rent it out, well, there's going to be a lot of other apartments on the market. So how do you differentiate your product and get it rented out? The only way to, you can't because it's a, bog standard apartment just drop your rent and then all of a sudden everyone's like a fire sale on rent so rents will probably be dropping dramatically as well um because people will be getting desperate and if you think about these mortgage um you know payment holidays and they're all sort of kind of going you know people are going back onto payments but these are the people who will be trying to extend their payments are the investors that own these type of apartments because they'll be like well i haven't got a tenant i can't rent it out i haven't had a tenant for six months um yeah, and this is what the vacancy rate really means is the investors behind that are going to be struggling to um, get their rents, pay their mortgages, um, and potentially when that those uh, they can't see a light at the end of the tunnel, they'll rush to sell it. And so not have you got a fire sale on rents, but now you've got a fire sale on assets, and that's when you're going to start seeing potentially big price falls, which probably already have happened, to be honest. It's probably not um, something that's going to happen. Well, Chris, that's why, that's why I like to actually present the count of how many properties there are mm, over, yeah. over 21 days. So uh, that puts it into, it takes it from a percentage to a, a real number, which represents how many people are hurting, how many mm. how many landlords are hurting. So, you know, suddenly you get up into the hundreds, if not the thousands in some of these areas. Um, that's a lot of people uh, without an income. So what, Clayton, because you sort of, that's near Monash University, right? And then there's Hawthorne near Swinburne. You've um, you've focused particularly on those for this report, and we've obviously just touched on Clayton there. But what num? What so? What's the? You know, we said the vacancy rate September twenty twenty was seven point eight percent. What is the number of properties sitting yeah. on the market that have been there trying to get a tenant for over twenty one days? Well, Hawthorne's a good example. So Hawthorne uh, postcode three one two two. Last count, we had a vacancy rate at ten percent. So that's um, you know more than double what it was six months ago. Um, an account of 400, 400 mm. properties listed 21 days or more. Ouch. Yeah. One suburb. And, you know, a lot of people buy more than one. Yes. You know, so some of these, you know, sprookers and their developers go on their big marketing thingy and people think, oh, great. And then, then also they spread the word to their family because it's such a great investment, isn't it? 
Um, so you would imagine that there's some people hurting more than others, but that's 400 individual units and probably less than 400 owners. But you know, at at best, 400 owners. It could be there would be less. I would think that's that's awful. Yeah, and then and then a spin-off of that. You've got the the leasing agents. You've got the strata managers. You've got a lot of industry mm. that rely on that income as well. Yeah, good point. And what about the actual inventory levels for sale? So how many of these are sort of hitting the market trying to offload them? Yeah, um, unit inventory is still low. So I think, Chris, you mentioned earlier on that prices, um, you know, rental prices will will have to, have to adjust. And just recapping from the last couple of shows, we covered off that inventory levels and vacancy rates are, are high in these suburbs, but the prices haven't followed. So that correction hasn't followed yet, um, but it has in, in and around Sydney. So Sydney has made adjustments to prices in both both the for sale, both rental, um, making adjustments to these lead variables of both inventory and vacancy, um, but it hasn't necessarily happened yet in, in and around Melbourne. Interesting. I mean, because you, you're talking about Sydney, but of course um, it, this isn't widespread. You're talking about university impacted areas, right? So you specifically looking at sort of the areas around UTS, so it's inner city. Yeah, Kensington. And Sydney. Yeah. And then, well, that's, uh, sorry, Sydney Uni, but also New South Wales Uni, which is yes. Kensington. Yep. Um, and also I thought it was interesting, going back to that report put out by Victoria Uni as well, it also showed some interesting maps uh, showing where the two biggest student groups choose to live in Sydney. Um, and so Chinese students were favouring areas like Kensington, the CBD, while Indian students were heading for the hills. Um, and so that was sort of, in, you know, because uh, and look, at, and we haven't asked you actually look at sort of areas such a, you know, that Castle Hill and out beyond Kellyville, that sort of way. And so I'm hitting you with it without actually preparing on this one. <laughs> I'm just going to fall back to my Rouse Hills, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, there you go, Yeah. <laughs> It's probably, uh, yeah, there, there could be some links there potentially. So, But what are you seeing sort of around that Kensington area in particular? Yeah, um, so the, the inventory level uh, in terms of you know, fire sale type properties for, for units doesn't is not happening. Kensington was called out before COVID as one of the hotspots, I remember, by um, uh, uh, Mr Driscoll, I think one of the CEOs of um, uh, one of the, the larger real estate groups. And when I, you say hot? Yeah, it was picked out as a as a hot spot, um, Kensington for for both units and houses. So it was oh, a, yeah, and, and all the numbers is pre COVID and everything stacked up. And so I would have I totally agree. Mm. Um, but what's happened here? Um, so housing inventory still low, but it has crept up. So it was extraordinarily low twelve months ago, at, you know, below two. So you could mm. hardly find a property. It's jumped up to about four months of inventory now still very very low and you know when you work off low bases you know these numbers are yeah you know they're all low um when you when you say houses you're talking houses freestanding houses apartments so then when Mm. we get onto the the units um it's still it's just over three months of inventory for apartments so it's Mm. it's you can't say at this stage that there's been a flow-on effect from properties Mm. that haven't been rented and people panicking and flogging them off. I but what's the vacancy rate and, and what's the amount of properties? Yeah, so um, Kenza, Kensington, Kenza, showing that's a local vernacular. Yeah. <laughs> You're old, you said 138 um, properties over mm. 21 days uh, in the rental space. That's a lot. Mm. Uh, in, in a percentage terms, that's 7.34. So it's over 7%. So it's high. 
Mm. Very, very high. The question is, though, how many of those are owned outright or how many of those have very low mortgages so Mm. people can hold firm and wait for that big surge that's going to happen by 2025 where the statement is that we're going to overtake the US and UK and Canada and overseas students. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, completely unresearched, so I could be held down and completely wrong, <laughs> we'll, we'll right? Just make it up. Well, that's all right. I'm not making it up. I'm just putting out a, a, a hypothesis. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's all this sort of thing about there's all oh, the Chinese money, the Chinese investors, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're buying us out, out of home and house and home and they're pushing prices up, et cetera, et cetera. However, a lot of these new developments have had been specifically built and marketed, targeted to the Chinese buyer, and particularly mm. in that sort of area, right? Yeah. And, you know, I had some Chinese clients, you know, I remember not from mainland China, but Chinese who had used to live in mainland China that live here and, you know, and I'd ask them, you know, why, what is going through the mind of a Chinese investor when they're buying here? And they're like, well, this is seen as, you know, as a commodity, these sort of properties. They don't see them as, you know, the way a local buyer would see them. And so therefore the way in which they've been built and the finishes and all that sort of stuff, there hasn't had to be the same sort of attention to detail, should you say, because they buy with a different mindset. Now, if they've been buying and if there's true that there's all this money from middle-class China, there's actually been buying these properties outright. Well, it's fair to say that they don't need to sell them and they don't need to rent them out even because they might've just been there. Mm. Who knows? I mean, I don't, I, as I said, I'm hypothesizing here. I might be completely off beam. It might be that the kids aren't out here at university at the moment, so therefore they have put them on the rental market and no one's taking them up. I mean, do we know anything about that? Oh, that's an interesting point. You know, I've spent a lot of time up in China and got a lot of Chinese friends. So I talk about this regularly. And there's there's really two types of university student, Chinese university students, those from the uh, wealthier families and those that fr- are from families that are just doing everything they can to scrape up mm. every cent and put their kid through uni- university mm. over here. Um, so there's, you know, there's you can't assume that it's just you know one wealthy set yep. of of, of families mm. sending their kids here. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. I think number two, a standout thing that I learned a lot from traveling and working up in China was the amount of properties uh, uh, units that were acquired, but they weren't fitted out. So it's akin to buying vacant land. Mm. So there's no fit out. It's just an empty shell and they hold. Yeah. It's just a place to park your money. Mm. So that that is an attitude that does spill over into Australia. Yeah. And that could be one of the reasons why we're not seeing an influx of stock on the market. But then again, they, they're not going to bother renting a place like that out, so it's not going to hit the vacancy rate, is it? Oh, well, no. Here it's a slightly different. Um, it's, you know, but they, what I was trying to say, and I didn't say it, I should have, um, was that they take a very long time, long-term time, long view. You know, there's mm. not, going, not going to be that panic. And equally, if they buy it and they are from that wealthier background, um, they're not going to be drawn into a short-term buy sale because the headlines mm. are saying the market's crashing. Um, it's just not going to happen. They will hold. Yep. Interesting. The problem with Kensington, though, is not just there's a freeway. I don't forget what the road that is, but... Um, you know, on the other side, you've got Green Square, Rosebury, Alexandria, Waterloo, mm. got Mascot to the south, you've got Botany, you've got Ramwick, you've got um, – and all of these areas, they're building lots of apartments. And yeah. so, um, you know, and, and they're all a stone's throw away from that university, you know, a bus ride that's five minutes or you could even walk. So mm. I think um, while the university is there, I think the students will be spread out a little bit in that sort of area. Um, and so – Kensington might not have jumped as much because the unit supply is probably a little bit smaller than 
you know, say a Green Square or a Rosebury, you know. And so I think these this this will kind of spread, but it's the you know, those, those students were renting something and they were probably renting apartments in those areas. And while we're throwing around hypotheses, um, my <laughs> hypothesis, uh, hypothesis has always been that uh, we build new, uh, new areas like Green Square and then suddenly you get a, an influx of people who are all buying at the same time, pushing up the percentage of people with mortgages. So mm, it's very different yeah. to these established areas where you might get yeah. one new building every 10 years or five years or whatever with a with some green or with some infill but these greenfields areas that suddenly you know have got thousands of units going up in one fell swoop that's my hypothesis is that when things go bad it goes bad in in one in one go as well yeah you get, yeah. You get a flurry of stock at the same time yeah yeah which is the whole problem that we talk about every single episode <laughs> <laughs> Um, now we've got we've actually got an episode dedicated to the Perth market coming up in a few weeks, and uh, we did ask you, Kent, to take a look at the situation there while you're doing the university research. So, yeah. tell us what you found. So we obviously we we did have a look at um, the university over in um, in Perth, and in and that was Curtin University, and you know without it's not a coincidence that in and around Curtin University there. There was uh, a higher, much higher uh, vacancy rates there. Um, so, so you know, it's, again, it's no different to whether you're in Queensland or Perth. So, in and around there, so you had two two universities. Um, I think in and around Perth, you had one on one side of the river. Um, so you've got um, uh, I'm trying to click Curtin University on one side, and the other one we looked at was the University of WA. So. Um, not over the top in terms of number of listings over 21 days. So the, the SA2 of Bentley and Wilson and St. James was 62 um, properties over 21 days. And in and around the one that's um, the University of Western Australia, that SA2 is Netherlands, Dalkeith, if I say that correctly, and Crawley. And that, that had about 65. So it's not, not, not a, a bad situation, certainly by comparison to, um, to Melbourne. Um, mm. Overall, though, um, we, we, we picked on a couple of um, kind of moving out of that kind of rental-centric high-density uh, review into more the suburban view of Perth. And the spot that we looked at, I wouldn't call it a hot spot, but I would call it one to watch because it does look like it might be warming up, is a place called Belden, a suburb called Belden. Mm. And, and it was interesting because it, um, it, it peaked back in 2014 at, at around 518,000. So it's a fairly affordable suburb relative and um, it's dropped since then so that long-term median is down um, mm. it's been a fairly stagnant flat market for the last 12 months but there has been some interesting uh, signs there might be some green shoots there so inventory has dropped down so 12 months ago it was about five and a half months of inventory now it's down to around two months of stock so you know properties are coming on and bouncing um, you know, within you know, 50 to 60 days. Um, so it's, you know, relatively warm or warming up and it's one worth watching. Now, the episode we've got coming up on Perth and it's a bit of a spoiler alert, there's some, <laughs> are some green shoots and we get some on the ground good analysis from Damien Collins as to why and when this started to you know, turning around as well. So uh, keep an eye out for that, listeners, if you're interested in Perth. But um, when I actually looked at this building, because I'd never heard of it, and it's it's in an area called Dundalup, right? And, mm. yeah, 
yes, which is just give us a, a quick idea about exactly how close it is, say, to the CBD. Oh, it's a. I think it's about a 20, 25 minute drive, which in Perth terms, I think, is a long, Huge. A long drive, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> North, north west, coast, east. Oh, sorry, can't go east. I mean, you can't north. go west, east. <laughs> north, north, yeah. not not far from the coastline, but I guess that's pretty much the whole of you know Perth and surrounding suburbs. Most of them, north and to, south. Yeah, they just go up and down the coastline. So, and we did talk about that with Damon Collins as well. So, as I said, if you're interested in Perth, definitely tune in. We got really into the nitty gritty. But what I what I found when I when I quickly looked up on online and said, well, okay, what's what's for sale in Belden at the moment? Uh, 19 listings, so not a lot. Um, And what I really saw, though, a heavy promotion to grant territory, you know, first-home buyer grants. And then I sort of dug a bit deeper and it seems to be that there's a lot of knockdown duplex subdivisions being offered. Yes. So it's like down the track that inventory level could start going up if all of these get sold and actually new properties, you know, every one that's sold, two pop up. You know, yeah. so that might change a bit, but it was just sort of interesting to see that that seems to be the real thrust of it. Oh, I, look, the standout for me though is I wouldn't be worried too much about duplexes here and there because it's not going to be a massive uh, increase in supply. And when you consider mm. that there's hardly any units or apartments, um, you know, only six percent are strata type, uh, be it townhouse and villa. So in that it's area, pretty much an area yep. dominated by freestanding houses. Mm. And if the zoning is such that it keeps that that uh, density really low, then you know, just an interesting, interesting. There are pockets though where we've spoken about on these suburb trends where duplexes are prolific um, when they should be houses. Yeah, and it's all sold on that double income. You know, why buy one house when you can buy two for the same price? Um, it's kind of the pitch. And there, you know, for example, around the Logan area in Queensland, there. Um, mm. you know, you can get a better yield if you do it this way. And the problem is, is you increase, the only way to get that yield is to actually rent it out. But if there's lots of other duplexes doing the same thing, just like apartments, yeah. um, yeah, it's true. that rent. So it's over. And the, for our listeners, you know, I'm sure they'll get it, but the property market's unregulated. So, you know, it's not till you bought that place and then it's built, you know, 12, 18 months later, potentially, um, that you have the rental problems. Um, and you can already see these problems before you sign that contract. Go and actually look and fact check the developers. Don't even do that. Just walk out the door. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but also, I guess, and if you and small developers, you know, like investors that get a little bit, uh, a little bit um, confident and say, right, my next investment is going to be a small development subdivision. You know, it's small. The risk can't be huge, and all the rest of it. But if they've never done it before, it can be highly risky. Um, well, we spoke about the Perth podcast um, mm. with Damien and another spoiler. We talk about that exact point, um, mm. which is uh, you don't want to play in the development space because it's unless you know what you're doing. And Damien's pretty bang on said that. Who's so um, yeah? We'll leave that for the Perth episode. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ken, Ken, we know that you you picked a suburb from Sydney, one from Melbourne, one from Adelaide, one from Darwin. So, which one do you want to hit next in terms of our warm spots? So, so, yeah, well, I'd probably say I'd classify Eltham in Victoria and Warrandyte in Victoria, kind of they're side by side, very close to each mm. other. I'd certainly call those uh, hot spots. Um, mm. They uh, they they're not cheap. The median price is uh, well for Warrandyte, it's around one point one million dollars if you're looking to to buy something at the moment, um, and about nine hundred and seventy thousand uh, dollars in Eltham. So um, 
fairly expensive areas, but the standout as well is that the advantage disadvantage decile rank it's up it's ten. So it's a these are well to do suburbs. They're leafy. They're beautiful to look at if you go and look at the suburb profiles um, on REAL domain and you look at the look at the the, the listings photos. They, they're very pretty streets. So. Um, in terms of the rental market, there's hardly anything uh, available in the rental space. So there's, you know, vacancy rates are extraordinarily low. Um, and obviously it supports that exodus from the city argument. You know, people, mm. are, people are wanting to get away from Melbourne CBD. And these are on the outskirts. These are on the, the foothills of the Dandenongs there. Actually, um, yeah. Chris, doesn't your nana live out that way? Warren guides more that way. But Does your nana live out that way? No, it's, it's so they're a bit more north um, rather than east. Um, but Eltham is exactly that. We had a client buy there oh, two, three years ago, um, mm. and they were looking originally, uh, you know, Bayside, like maybe Bentley or somewhere around the bay. Um, and then they looked, you know, around Brunswick and Northcote. Um, and then so they said, look, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they were kind of like trying to go because why you said they're uh, expensive, Kent, but. For a young professional couple that are on, you know, you know, one fifty to two hundred, right? That's pretty much where they're buying around that, you know, that circa one million. In Melbourne, they start getting uncomfortable around one point two, one point three. In Sydney, it's probably around that one point five mark um, for that sort of couple. Maybe earning a bit more in Sydney. Uh, and Eltham was an interesting choice for them because when they compared what they could get for their money um, compared to the other, they were talking a big, you know, Art Deco, a lot of mid-century sort of houses there. Um, on massive blocks, I think they've got a twelve hundred square meter block hmm. uh, for circa a million dollars, and uh, so yeah, but it was it is a bit further on the train, so it's you know it's not that uh, you know thirty forty minutes, maybe it's you know closer to an hour, um, and so that wasn't really most people in Melbourne didn't want to do that, but what I think this lockdown and COVID's done is people say, hmm. well yeah, I can if for, to get this, I'm willing to compromise, which they weren't doing before, so it's a really interesting one to see Eltham on the list. More mm. home office, you know, in one of those you know, big, tall ceiling houses. <laughs> <laughs> hard to heat, hard to cool. <laughs> How about it? <laughs> oh, negative, Chris. Yeah, it's only, it speaks from experience. Yeah, so, I'm going through that right now. Yeah. Which one do you want to hit next? Oh, that one was Bronte. Just I had to throw in a Sydney side suburb close to your heart, obviously. You know, it's mm-hmm. the old favourite, but um, inventory levels have gone down lower yet again. So even though the, the, the median price there does jump around a bit by virtue of it being well and truly into the three, so at the moment it's about $3.5 million, mm. it does bounce around depending on what's for sale at the time, but you wouldn't, yep. read, you wouldn't read too much in, into that in terms of uh, price valuation appreciation. Um, but overall, the inventory levels are low, the demand remains sol- solid. And if you look at the 10-year, REA's got a nice chart, you look at the 10-year the median growth, uh, it's just been solid, that, that year-on-year growth, that long-term growth remains. So it's just a, it's one of those rock-solid suburbs if you've got a bag full of cash. And for anyone who doesn't know, Bronte's sort of just south of Bondi and it's a beautiful beach and it's very much, it's sort of, it's not um, known for being full of backpackers and tourists. It's much more that sort of local, um, you know, some very, very well-to-do and very, very uh, famous people live in Bronte and um, and it's got a lovely park and it's just got a lovely feel, little village oh, and, and et cetera, et cetera, all the things that Sydney siders love and 
and it is a very desirable place to be. And there's there's a fair variety or a spread of stock. I guess you've you've got you know semi-detached houses, you know, two bedrooms, no parking, right up to you know cliff top ocean view mansions. Um, yeah you know, and everything in between. So there's quite a bit of diversity. And, and, and apartments, let's not forget Art apartments, Deco. quite a lot. Yeah, your Art Decos, but also a lot of those ones have been built in the 60s and um, 70s, you know, your red bricks, your blonde bricks. Walk-ups. There's though. quite a few. A walk-ups. Yeah, the walk-ups, yeah. But it's, um, yeah, there's a lot there. But it's a very, very pleasant eastern suburbs, very, very sought-after suburbs. A lot to so. love. A lot to love about Bronte. Mm. It is a lot to love about Bronte and obviously if you've got property there, you're loving it even more. But if you're trying to buy in, you might be uh, not loving it so much. <laughs> so is it time to become Debbie Downer and talk about some of the um, – the, the, the downsides. The downside suburbs. Hit it. Hit um, it. So Port Pirie in South Australia. Uh, mm. And what I try and do is dig around and just without phoning too many people, uh, I try and do as much desktop research to find out a potential cause for it. Um, but its inventory levels um, are significantly high. Um, there's a lot of housing stock that's not really moving. Um, and the only thing I could put it down to, um, the, the, the local government area unemployment rate is high. It's, a, it's about double the, the national average. So that does look like it's a, an economic uh, issue um, mm. for Port Pirie. Um, and in terms of the advantage, disadvantage, decile that we refer to, it's one. So it's in the, the, the lower. Oh, wow. The lower. Um, the second one I've got on the Debbie Downer list is mascot. So we, we, we did cover that a little bit earlier, but right now I count just over 130 apartments for sale. And a lot of people, unfortunately, they called that, that mascot um, unit building mascot towers, right? Mm, now, yes. Surely that's going to carry over and do brand damage to the suburb. Yeah, it is interesting that, isn't it? I mean, I think just the very fact there's an airport there does a bit of damage as well. You just think airport, air noise. Um, not at the moment. Know. Not at the moment. <laughs> not at the moment. You could be <laughs> forgiven for forgetting about aircraft noise. Um, That's yeah, under sorry. by a property near the um, under a flight path right now though, right? So yeah. Yeah. there's no flights here. There's That's no all good. Oh, I think, yeah, we, it's amazing how short memories we have. But, um, yeah, Mascot Towers is obviously terrible, a terrible uh story and obviously very unfortunately named, but there is a lot, a lot of new development in Mascot, a huge amount. It's like, an, and um, as, you know, industrial land has been rezoned and um, and I would suspect that that's lending itself to this dire situation. What do you know about lead? Lead? Oh, just the, you the- don't want it in your soil. <laughs> That was just, that was a little line from the castle, one of my favourite movies. <laughs> <laughs> Serenity. If it wasn't set in mascot, it should have been. Okay. Uh, okay. Whereas I got mm. one more. Got one more suburb. Do you go, want? go, go. Yeah. Musclebrook. It's mm. it's near Newcastle. It's not far away. It is. Bit north. A uh, bit north. Um, it's got a few. The housing market's fine, but the units. There's not an abundance of units, but they're not really moving. So the unit inventory levels rather high, um, and yeah, I, I, I did a little bit of a concern there. And, and and it appears to be that there's in the in the town itself, there's 900 people directly employed by the mines, and there's a bit of uncertainty around the whole coal thing at the moment. So. Um, you know, up there, the, the news article that I just recently read that, you know, the region has about 65,000 people 
you know, associated with the, the, the coal mining industry. And there's just this unknown how many of these jobs will um, mm. be replaced by the move to renewables. And, and I wonder, just a question, I wonder whether that's the, the, the cause of these uh, units. Um, equally, you know, it's not, not an expensive place to buy a house. So you can buy a house for around that 300000 So you can park your big four-wheel drive. I had a chat to a buyer's agent, Tyrone Manning, who I think you know. Oh, yes. And his, yeah, his answer his answer to this was, well, if I'm a, a tradie, I've got a big four-wheel drive, I've got motorbikes, I've got a boat, and I've got a caravan. I'm going to buy mm. a house. So mm. the unit market there has gone a bit soft. And but also, if a house only costs you three hundred thousand, what's a unit going to cost? Yeah, well, and how much is it going to cost to build in the first place? And can they possibly develop or possibly get any, any money out of it if if a house is three hundred grand? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, oh, it doesn't make sense to me that even be building uh, apartments there. Well, they're, they're not. Yeah, they're little townhomes, but yeah, around the hundred and ninety thousand dollar mark. Um, but with interest rates the way they are, you'd rather top it up and buy the house for three hundred. Mm. And this is the yeah. case in Brisbane and Melbourne as well. Not so much. It's one of the things with Sydney why apartments went up versus, uh, you know, Brisbane and Melbourne is that houses got too expensive and people yeah. said, well, I cannot afford a house. Um, that's not an option for me. I'm earning good incomes and I've got a big decent deposit, so I'll buy an apartment. And that's what pushed up a lot of the apartment prices here in, you know, our premium suburbs and also not so much. Um, but in Melbourne and Brisbane, those buyers could still buy a house. So mm. You haven't had them going competing on the Art Deco and the nicer apartments in premium suburbs because people said, "Well, I don't want to make that compromise. I still want a house in the backyard and uh, a nice little frontage, so I'm willing to swap areas." So, yeah, in an area where houses are still affordable, why would you buy an apartment? And uh, that's you know, why would you even build an apartment? So, uh, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Mm. Ken, you had a couple of others that, um, on your list that. Sort of looked at before we put this together as in warm spots. Was there Glenside in Adelaide and Lenya? Is it in Darwin? Let me, um, I'm just going to go to my enter your suburb search on suburbtrends.com. And Lenya, <laughs> what was L? Just spell that for me. L E A N Y E R. Now, while you're looking that up, and because you had this on your list, and, and I just sort of looked it online, and there was 15 listings, six, and this is Darwin. Okay, so mm. let's face it, Darwin has had a shocking time of it over the last decade or so. Um, but I, I noticed in this suburb that, that was on your list that 15 listings, six of which were either under contract or with a current offer, mm. which is Quite interesting. There's a, obviously buyers are active in that area. If you have six out of fifteen, um, you know, with buyers on them. Yeah. Um, well, I've just I've just uh, instant search here on the website. It's uh, come up with a in, housing inventory one point six three. So it's pretty low, uh, mm. pretty hot. Um, rental tenure is about thirty eight. So it's just marginally higher than the national average. Mm. Um, but the advantage disadvantage decile is is nine. So it's that's interesting, and that po- mm. points to me that there's probably a fair bit of employment uh, in the um, in the in the armed services in the air force there, and uh-huh. um, you know there's a there's a bit of bit of investment, bit of money going into that sector at the moment. Um, so I probably attribute a fair bit of that um, to um, to the air force. It's funny. Right. I just brought up on uh, Google. Uh, maps go onto the satellite. It's a great tip when you want to figure out you know, oh, what's you happening love in an area. Uh, um, but anyway, you go suburbs straight at, uh, north of it, so you're talking hundreds of metres, not 
um, kilometers and kilometers and kilometers, and there's house and land packages getting built. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's funny, right? So we're talking about a hotspot where very low, uh, you know, listings and they're selling. Mm. Um, but literally a couple hundred meters up the road, you can go What's and buy coming? a package. And so, mm. yeah, it's not, it's, and that's not, but in saying that further north than that, then you're hitting water. So it's not like there's this, uh, proliferation going to happen for years and years and years, but a lot of land, a lot of land up there. You still to make sure you've got enough people for them. And the other one that was on, on your list that sort of, uh, I think we highlighted, or you highlighted before we did this, was Glenside, Adelaide. It's in an inner ring location. It looks like a very, very nice suburb. Only only 12 listings. Yes. I I did. I printed out that one. I did my proper homework on Glenside. So it's one mm. of those inner suburbs. And I think we covered this off with Adelaide. One of the you know, one of the issues we've got is you've got uh, the unit market behaving, you know, in the same, literally in the same suburbs or adjacent suburbs and the unit market's in strife, but these suburbs mm. of, with houses, the housing markets are going gangbusters. So, yeah. um, so it's, it's very, very strong uh, inventory levels below two. So, you know, you can hardly find anything. Days on market is extraordinary, 21 days. Um, so, you know, it's bou- they're bouncing on and bouncing off. And this is this is you know across the board we're seeing this you know this two speed markets units doing one thing houses doing another and in areas where affordability becomes a problem as you mentioned earlier Chris I think we can see the knock on effect um, benefiting the unit market but you know but it, it does come down to also sheer volume of what's available um, now Kent every month we discuss something that doesn't fit the pattern you've got an anomaly for us my Kent? anomaly is the the uh, price change in and around Melbourne. It hasn't mm-hmm. kicked in yet. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe next month we might start to see it, um, but it still might be a couple of months off, but we're just not seeing it. So Sydney, the correction happened, but in Melbourne in terms of prices, we're yet to see that early correction, that lead indicator with rents moving south. And when you're saying correction, tell me what you mean because when I think Sydney now, it's hot, hot, hot. Yes, right. So, I'm, and and I'm talking houses, not apartments. So we're talking clear, you know, auction clearance rates well in the seventies, um, prices rising. Um, what are you What are you talking about as a correction? Apart, apart, the lead indicator for me, based on the massive volumes of vacancies in the mm. apartment space, the high density spots in and around Melbourne. Yep. I'm I'm pointing to rents moving down. Right. So gotcha. there's got the Airbnb effect there as well. So yeah. Yeah. No and no international tourism, they mm. would generally uh want to, you know, stay in the city. Uh and so those Airbnbs, Airbnbs are really struggling. Airbnbs regionally in nice lifestyle locations are, are going nuts because mm. people are traveling within their state. Um but yeah, that that's gonna impact these rents as well. Well, this has been a great snapshot. Thank you very much. We're looking forward to coming back with next month's report, which, of course, will be December. Um, what should we focus on for next month? Any ideas, guys? Chris, what do you want? What do you want for Christmas? <laughs> Can we do something around, like, government stimulus maybe? I don't know. Maybe we should I mean, the, the latest changes is very interesting. We'll know a lot more by this stage next month is the potential STEM duty changes Um I like that one. I, I, here's my yes. hypothesis. My theory yeah. is that this is going to create uh, fix and flip opportunities. I reckon the fix and flip mm. market for New South Wales will really surge. We'll get TV shows hosted by Veronica Morgan, 
Oh, no, I won't be won't be touching this stuff. Actually, interestingly enough, because we did talk about, and I have to dig it up actually, which episode we discussed what could happen uh, if the state government, cho- oh, it must be with Brendan Coates, that would be it, isn't it, mm. um, where we discussed what could happen if the state government does abolish uh, stamp duty. And, you know, and here we are and this is what they're doing and they're, they're doing the opt-in so you, you can opt for paying stamp duty up front or paying land tax over time. Now, obviously, if you're going to flip, you're going to opt the land tax because you're not going to own it that long. You know, that, that's a no-brainer. It's also going to lower the cost of, of the, the burden or the hurdle to get into the property market. So what does that mean? Well, I think we're looking for price rises, right? Well, just by history, we know that if it's a high-demand area, a high-demand suburb, there's every possibility that we will see a price increase. Okay, so let's focus on that for next episode. Wonderful. Yeah, and the, the catalyst is, is that what causes the price rise is the person selling um, putting that money in the bank. Now, they might buy before they sell, but let's just say they sell first. Um, then they go back to a broker or a bank and then they re-borrow on their 2020 income rather than they were bought that house in 2000 or 2005 or 2010. Um, and so they can generally borrow a lot more than their current debt is. And so it's that transaction is increasing their debt and then on top of their current equity and that's what pushes the prices up. So by creating more transactions, what you're doing is creating more debt and then more debt pushes into house prices. And so, um, yeah, it's and, – and people are willing to take on more debt and this is a big change that we've seen just in a mindset. Um, and I, I wrote a blog on this actually or a little post actually saying once you get under that 2% mark, I imagine people will start thinking differently and it, it's what happened. There wasn't Nostradamus to predict that but – um, yeah, the mindset's different now. I know I can get a five-year fixed rate under 2%. It's that psychological barrier. So when people don't have to pay stamp duty and I can borrow under 2% for five years, why the hell are we staying in this house that we don't love? Let's sell it and let's go and upgrade. Um, and so that's what I think will happen. In, well, this time think- in six months' time, we'll be talking about negative interest rates. That'll be, <laughs> that'll be, a show be. For July 2021. We might be. Uh, Ken, before we head off, um, I'd like to add in, if you can look at Canberra for next episode, because, of course, Canberra have um, led the charge with this stamp duty change. Uh, it'd be interesting to know, uh, you know, what the impact of that has been on the Canberra market as a bit of a canary in the gold mine. Yeah. Thanks for listening. The gold mine, not the gold mine, but anyway. Nicole, oh, whatever. <laughs> a mine, just a mine, an underground mine. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your questions and feedback. Connect with us via the website or email us at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team would love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, 
wealthful.com.au. If you're a first-home buyer and you don't want to miss a step with this most important purchase, join me on Wednesday nights at 7.30pm Sydney time on the Home Buyer Academy Facebook page for live Q&A. Check out the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. Every month, my team hosts a webinar on what we are seeing at the banks, the best rates, changing policy and their service. We also share the latest insights we hear and read that are impacting the property market direction. Check out wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.